question is, are you ready? This is The Drive with Josh Graham on Sports Hub Triad. What's up? It's a Thursday drive where if you were to look at the ACC basketball standings today, you'd find Wake Forest with the best record in the league at 8-1. Yet, despite that, them going into Blacksburg and getting a 20-point win last weekend, it's largely been met with a shoulder shrug across the league. Very few think what they've shown thus far is real. But consider me one of those very few. Because much like Wake football, what we're seeing is not random. It's not a fluke, but it did require catching a pretty big break from the NCAA, and this is what I mean. Dave Clawson's recipe for success since arriving in Winston-Salem was to get older than everybody else. If I can't recruit the best players, we're going to get crafty, and we're going to run a system unlike anybody else, and we're going to run it really well because our guys are recruited to it, are experienced, they're going to sit out their entire freshman season. We're just going to have a bunch of fifth-year guys running around. Then the NCAA gave everybody a free year of eligibility in 2020. And when that happened, it gave the Deeks a leg up. And wouldn't you know it, Wake Forest is in the ACC championship game. As for Wake basketball, Steve Forbes is uniquely qualified to thrive in today's landscape. That landscape being the age of the one-time transfer. Now, the transfer portal, it's been ramping up this way for the last few years now. But once this summer, the NCAA said anybody can transfer one time wherever they want without having to sit out a year, that gave Steve Forbes a significant leg up. He spent 11 years in junior college basketball. 11 years. The rest of the ACC head coaches combined spent one year in junior college. Kevin Keats, shout out to you, spent one year at a community college in the 1990s. Steve Forbes spent 11 years coaching in it, and it matters because Juco is all about constant movement and constant changing of rosters, turning over year to year. Doesn't that sound a lot like what college basketball's been over the last few months? So Forbes was uniquely qualified to thrive in that landscape. Here he was earlier this morning on WSJS Sports with Packer and Durham talking about what that JUCO experience has done for him working in the transfer portal. It's everything. Um, That's the climate that we're in, and... What happens with coaches, I think, Wes, is that there's a lot of anxiety when you lose guys, you know, for whatever reason. And there's all there's a myriad of reasons why guys come and go. I just don't have a lot of anxiety. Um, I enjoy the process each year of building the team, the chemistry, putting them together, and 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 putting them out on the floor. Insert Alondis Williams and Jake Laravia and Dallas Walton and Habdeen C. These are all guys who are very good, and two of them might be all ACC players. So Wake caught a break with that one-time transfer rule. But they also caught a break in 2020 just being able to hire Steve Forbes. I know I've pointed this out a handful of times on the show, but 
I'm going to keep hammering away at it because I hope many of you guys realize this who follow the ACC. The Deeks hired the best incoming coach that they've ever hired. Like when you look at the resumes stacked side by side, Carl Tacey, Dave Odom, Skip Prosser, Steve Forbes. Steve Forbes' resume is better than all those guys, and we love those guys for good reason for what they did at Wake Forest. They made the league a lot better. But Steve Forbes won 75% of his games at East Tennessee State. And that's a pretty good league in the Southern Conference. How do I know that? How many guys have transferred from the Southern Conference and become all ACC players in the last couple of years? Quite a bit. He had other great stops at Tennessee, working under Bruce Pearl and working under Billy Gillespie at Texas A&M. And yes, working on the JUCO circuit. If a global pandemic didn't happen, Steve Forbes, I can almost guarantee, would be coaching somewhere else. Because you look at when he was hired, it was April of 2020. We were a month into the pandemic, a month into shutdowns. And most years in college basketball, there are usually nine or ten different coaching changes that happen, at least in high major ball. Last year, there was a grand total of zero until the last week of April when John Curry, the Wake AD, decided now was the time to let go of Danny Manning and go in a different direction. If there were eight or nine other jobs available, then Wake's competing to bring in the top guy on the market, which was Steve Forbes for all the reasons I just outlined. So this is not a fluke what we're seeing. This isn't same old Wake basketball. Oh, they're eight and one right now. They're just going to go away. This team is going to be on the NCAA tournament bubble this year, which is a big deal. They're not going to contend for the league, even though they have the best record right now. But considering Wake Forest hasn't finished better than ninth in the ACC since 2010, just being on the bubble in Steve Forbes' second year, that's quite the accomplishment. And that's what I think is going to happen. They're better than Virginia. They're better than NC State. They just beat Virginia Tech by 20 in Blacksburg. This is quickly coming one of the most fun programs in all of the ACC. Wake's 8-1 and start is not a fluke. You are listening to The Drive with Josh Graham. That's me here on WSJS Sports. If you want to chime in on the show on Twitter at WSJS Sports, you could do that. Robert Walsh is the producer of this show. Nick Dioli in the house as well. A lot for us to do today. Your thoughts, welcome, 336-777-1600. If we are to assume Tony Elliott eventually is going to get things done at Virginia, where exactly do things stand with Duke football? Steve Wiseman, he's going to join the show for an update on that at 3.30. Nobody follows the Blue Devils as closely as he has for the Observer the last decade. But he's the one that reported Elliott and A&M DC Mike Elko were the front runners for the job but also mentioned former Cowboy coach Jason Garrett was in the mix. Now, I don't have any info to back what I'm about to say up, but with Elliott being hired, even though there was a report today that there might have been a snag in that negotiation, assuming that gets done, and assuming they don't bring in Jason Garrett because that doesn't make a heck of a lot of sense, short of Garrett trying to get Duke basketball tickets one way or another, huge Duke fan, him and Tony Romo, I'd imagine Mike Elko will be the choice because he's the safest hire for the Blue Devils. Think of it this way. Could you find someone who fits that school's profile 
that's available, that's a good coach, better than Mike Elko. Duke views itself as an Ivy League school that just so happens to compete in the ACC. So why not bring a guy that went to an Ivy League school? Mike Elko was a safety at Penn. He was born in the Northeast, already going to be fitting in nicely (laughs) in Durham on that campus. That's a plus. An Ivy Leaguer from the Northeast, bring him in. ACC experience, and that ACC experience was at Wake, which, by the way, going to be your top contender for recruits. Wake, they Duke competes with Wake for recruits, not with State and Carolina. Those two are the ones competing side by side. So spending time with Dave Clawson and seeing how he built up that program, that could be pretty good. And for added measure, he was also a DC at Notre Dame for a little while, just like same place that AD Nina King spent a lot of time at. Nina King a part of that Notre Dame family that's all across the ACC right now. Mike Elko, he'll likely look to continue David Cutcliffe's strategy. Dave Cutcliffe, they're trying to find somebody who could continue what he did, not do something completely different because Cutcliffe's the best coach they've had in Durham since Spurrier. Make Duke competitive year in, year out. Have a low, make it a high floor, and every now and then, build up to a season you can make a run in the Coastal about every recruiting cycle. That's what they want. My fear in hiring Elko to do so, maybe we're all taking David Cutcliffe for granted what he did. Unlike Elko, Cutcliffe was an incredible coach before arriving in Durham. A head coach in the SEC, the Manning history, all of that. An unbelievable coach, and that's a lot to live for, live up to, I should say, for Mike Elko. That's why I probably would have preferred, and they still can, it's not too late, for them to take a swing at somebody else. Like, to take a big swing. Jason Garrett, that's ridiculous to me, but Jeff Munkin running that triple option, it seems like he wants a Power 5 job. That would make a lot of sense. Do what Paul Johnson did. Do to a degree what Dave Clawson's done of late. How about Jamie Chadwell? Oh, the style, the, the culture at Coastal, it's not a fit for Duke. Winning should be the fit that you're looking for. And Jamie Chabwell did that a lot. And this is something I put out on Twitter kind of as a joke, but I'm being pretty serious now about it. With all the turmoil that we'll get into at Louisville right now, all the upheaval that's happening over there, if you're Nina King, you should be making a phone call to Scott Satterfield to at least check if he's still interested in coaching close to home. A year ago, that guy interviewed for the South Carolina job. And now he's not going to have the same AD or university president that hired him? The guy grew up in Hillsborough. Worth keeping a close eye on there. But I do think Mike Elko is probably going to be the hire because he's the safest hire. But Steve Wiseman will tell us the latest that he knows at the bottom of the hour. Once again. There is a mess at Louisville right now. But what does it mean for Scott Satterfield? That's next on The Drive. I guess he knows what he's doing. He can't argue with success, right? Right. You're on The Drive with Josh Graham on WSJS Sports. Let's 
let's figure out what's going on with this Duke football hire. Because Pete Thamel has reported in the last 20 minutes that there has been, in fact, a snag between Virginia and Tony Elliott. That's not a done deal yet between the Clemson OC and the Hoos, even though Elliott flew into Charlottesville with his family to meet with Carla Williams and others. It seems like to Thamel, Elliott is still looking at Duke, still looking at Virginia, and still hasn't ruled out coming back to Clemson to be the offensive coordinator. The guy who was on Tony Elliott being a front runner along with Mike Elko earlier this week joins us now in Steve Wiseman. Longtime Duke beat writer from The Observer, kind enough to join us here. Steve, what's your understanding of where things stand currently? Things got pretty quiet for the last 24 to 48 hours. What do you know at the moment? Yeah, they're, you know, it looked like Elliott was uh, going up to Charlottesville. It's time to take that deal, and uh, Duke would have to move on to, not that he was the number one guy for them, but you know, they, they kind of wanted to see what happened with his deal and, and before they um you know consider the other people that are among their their finalists there Mike Elko and others and um so now it looks like uh Elliot's about to leave Charlottesville and head back to Clemson without a deal um I do know there's a University of Virginia plane that's scheduled to leave at four o'clock and head back to uh Clemson and so um that looks like they're sending him packing <laughs> without a deal uh without a signed deal anyway and he, uh, so we'll continue to monitor and see what happens with Duke as they counter that move and see, um, you know, what they do here. I know they were trying to get a deal done here, uh, you know, before signing day as far as Duke and maybe even, you know, before the weekend's out. So um, that's still their plan. And uh, uh, but, they're, you know, this Elliott thing has been taking some twists and turns here over the last couple of days. Did I hear you right that? Duke doesn't consider Elliott to be their top candidate, or did I hear that wrong? No, I mean that's not that wasn't communicated to me. That from what I know about the search, he wasn't number one. Okay, there was there was a group there, kind of a tier. I wouldn't there. There's a few people on that tier, but um, Elliott is one of them on that tier for sure. But um, but things have gone quiet and and things are not happening. Uh, while the Elliott thing was playing out, right? So you can kind of deduce that he's somebody that they're highly interested in. How many candidates do you think they're looking at at this point? Um, I would say five or less. Yeah, and that's um, probably, I would say, yeah, that, that's a good number to work with. Who's uh, on they're... the top tier that you're describing? Steve Wiseman um, with us, by the way. I would say uh, Mike Elko for sure would be in there. Uh, the Texas A&M defensive coordinator, who formerly was at Wake, mm-hmm. Notre Dame, he's been under worked under Clawson for 12 years, so um, he's got a lot going for him. Um, Ivy League graduate uh, from Penn, played football at Penn, so uh, that's something that Duke is interested in. They need somebody who has that academic background, and that clearly is, is Elko, even though he's at Texas A&M and, and, and you know in the SEC now. Um, I would say the Air Force head coach, Troy Calhoun, uh, would oh. be kind of on there still. Yeah, um, uh, that's somebody they talk to and, and have interest in. Again, for the same reasons, right? Uh, there's somebody that – and, heck, look what he's done. He's He's been to bowl games in 11 out of his 15 years at the Air Force. 
So they could do a lot worse to him, that's for sure. Steve, uh, Steve Wiseman with us here on WSJS Sports. And I, I wonder what you make of the Jeff. You mentioned the Air Force coach there, uh, Calhoun. But uh, Jeff Munkin was the first name we heard when things first started to get going. And mm-hmm. uh, we, we hear about maybe that they could approach things. And you and I have talked about this like Paul Johnson did and to a degree like Dave Clawson has done and just do things a bit differently. What happened? I know that's something they looked at at least. What happened there? Why ultimately did they decide to go in a different direction? Yeah, I I haven't been given a clear answer on that yet. I just know that he was involved and talked to and and had some interest in it. You know, that's something that he wanted to pursue. And at this point, uh, it looks like they've, you know, kind of moved to other candidates. I don't know if that's, again, we can speculate that, you know, did they not want to go full triple option, right, at, at Power 5? Because Calhoun at Air Force runs some of that, but he's also got a lot of passing game experience, and he's somebody that worked for Jim Grobe at, at Wake and uh, at Ohio uh, as an offensive coordinator. So um, it's not like he's totally, you know, hardcore triple option, right? He's got some some different little wrinkles to it and uh it's a little more open so maybe that that's it um i don't know that 100 percent. i'm just kind of you know educated guest there without giving up a source or betraying any confidences steve wiseman with us here how did jason garrett's name come up this week yeah he's he's always been on the periphery and um you know he's he's expressed interest in the job and uh, but his lack of college experience is really his whole is his drawback. You can't. It's just not easy to to do that. Um, so I'm not saying he's out. Uh, it's hard to say he's out or in <laughs> because of that, <laughs> right? Because um, he's such a think about it. Like the, you know, he was the Cowboys head coach, and uh, you know, you want to name guy that's going to get some excitement about the program. That would be it, right? You know, I mean, that would get some people's attention. And he's, you know, he played at Princeton, so you get an Ivy League background, uh, which is important here uh, at the school, uh, that, that he understands academic requirements here. And uh, so that's where that stands. I mean, I know that – I just know that he's made a push to get involved here uh, and, and would be interested in, in taking the job if it were offered to him. A couple other things. Steve Wiseman with us here from – the News and Observer, newsobserver.com. You can read his stuff. Also listen to him, the Believe in Duke pod. It is him and Sheldon Williams breaking down Duke Vince basketball. It's a good listen. I strongly suggest it. Uh, I joked about this on social media earlier today, but I, I'm starting to talk myself into it. Not that it will happen, but Duke at least needs to investigate it a bit. Considering what we know, that Scott Satterfield interviewed at South Carolina last year, and he's going to be working for a new university president and new AD uh, if he decides to stay at Louisville. Should Duke and Nina King at least ask, hey, Scott, do you still have interest in coaching close to home considering he's a Hillsboro guy? He's right down the road, isn't he? He's uh have a lot of family come to games. At least that bump up the attendance a little bit, maybe. <laughs> he actually told me once upon a time he used to sell game programs at Wallace Wade Stadium. So he knows that yeah. stadium pretty well. He does. And, uh, you know, he put one of the final nails in Cutcliffe's coffin uh, 
with that 62 <laughs> to 22 beat down a few couple weeks ago. So um, his name has not come up at all in all the people I've heard and connections <laughs> that they've talked to or anything like that. So it's an interesting thought for sure. Yeah. Uh, so I don't know if it's timing or what, but uh, um, he'd have to take a pay cut. <laughs> yeah. That's... To come here, but maybe the, for to be home, he'd do that. I don't know the hometown yeah. discount, right? Or, or worried that he might be out of a job in about a yeah. year. But I don't know if you get that buyout if you decide to leave at Duke. Just something, uh, leave for Duke. That's something to consider there. I wanted to ask you something basketball before we let you go because we haven't seen the Blue Devils since their first loss of the season last Tuesday night in Columbus. The next time we'll see them is next Tuesday against South Carolina State at Cameron. Did the Ohio State game change your opinion about this team at all? Um, not, not really. I mean, uh, they, they shot poorly and it, the only thing was I, I thought they had enough defense and, um, interior play, uh, on offense to, to score when they don't, or to, to win when they don't shoot well from three, they weren't as reliant on three pointer as some other Duke teams we've known in the past. And that proved to be not the case on that night. Uh, they, they've won other games this year where they didn't shoot particularly well from three. So it can't happen, but uh, on that night it didn't. And, you know, they didn't play very good defense in the second half. They were in foul trouble, changed everything around. Um, they need to they need to improve their half-court offense for sure. Extra pass, whatever it needs. They need to get more open shots, better shots, um, better, you know, entry passes uh, to, to to overcome that part of it, that, that they're not, not a great three-point shooting team. They need to be – they think they can be a better three-point shooting team if they can – you know, kind of tweak things a little bit in the half court. But they, they need to, to work on that for sure, and they are. He's on Twitter at Steve Wiseman NC. Again, listen to his pod and also uh, read his stuff as always. Nobody's as plugged in as he is on what's happening with the Duke football search that we expect to be finished some way, shape, or form in the next five or six days. Signing day is six days away. Steve Wiseman, thanks for the time. I'll see you soon, buddy. Okay, Josh. Thanks, thanks for having me on. There you go. You're welcome. Darren Vaught steps into the studio now. Steve Wiseman exit stage right, enter stage left. I love how you always make it out like I'm just walking in. You've been here for about <laughs> 20 <laughs> minutes now. I try to get here early. That way, you know, I try to be early to things, right? That's... Tell me about this project that you and uh, – Brian, you're working with, right? Brian McLawhorn. Brian McLawhorn, who's covered Duke for a while. You guys are doing something that's going to come out in January regarding Duke basketball, yes? Yes. Uh, it is entitled K in the Crazies. It is a narrative podcast that uh, we've put out a trailer for, so you can go ahead and subscribe and listen to that wherever you get podcasts. And it will be a an episodic journey through basically chronicling the relationship, which is symbiotic, of Coach K and the success that that basketball program has had since his arrival at Duke 40-plus years ago and the rise to prominence culturally of the Cameron Crazies and Krzyzewskiville and Tenting and how that came about. Um, it started as a documentary film project, We've had some, we've hit some snags. It's taken many forms over several years, like six or seven years. Brian and I have worked on this on and off. Um, 
but we got an exclusive interview with Kay talking about not the, the typical X's and O's, his current team stuff that you normally only get from Kay because he's he's rarely accessible outside of press conferences and things like that. But we've got him talking specifically about the Cameron Crazies, how they make him feel, his relationship with them, and from his perspective, their importance to the men's basketball program. Um, so, yeah, pretty cool stuff. K and the Crazies is what it's called. Find the trailer, and we'll, I'm sure, be talking about that. When January gets here, Darren Vaught, voice of the High Point Panthers as well. Maybe we'll get an update on what Tubby's group's doing in a little bit. Steve Forbes, though. He is, I think, pushing, this is the best word I could use, pushing perhaps the best promo in recent ACC basketball history. And we'll tell you about it next on The Drive. Hey, hey, what's all the commotion? You're on The Drive with Josh Graham. If you can't be at least mildly interesting, then shut the hell up on WSJS Sports. Robert, did you ever used to listen to those mashups that people would do? Like, they'd mix two songs together. It'd be the lyrics of one song mashed up with the music of another. Yeah, there's a dude that does a really good job on that, uh, DJ Funderburk. He just knocks him out of the park every time. DJ Funderburk? Isn't Wait, that what? the NC State basketball player? No, that's just that's just his name. Just a coincidence. It's the same thing. That's crazy. All right. The point I was going to make is this is 21 Questions by 50 Cent, and there's uh, an, an Eminem song. I forget what song he mashed up with it, but I remember it being on the internet, and I've been unable to find it since then. It's When I'm Gone by Eminem. Okay. Mashed up with 21 Questions. I, I can thought see it that. was awesome back when I was in high school. And then I went on the internet looking for it recently, and it's gone. There's I haven't a, been able uh, to find it. There's a, a set of mashups I found in grad school, so it's been a while. But they probably are still online, like on Bandcamp or something, maybe SoundCloud somewhere. Uh, it was Weezer Kanye West mashups, and they called it Yeezer. It was great. Teaser. I hate that so much. Teaser. God, I hate That's that so fantastic. much. fantastic. And we got our podcast title for the day. What do we have <laughs> on High Point Basketball, Darren Vaught? Give us the latest there. I know they beat Elon last week. They beat Elon last week. Tuesday, welcomed Division Three Guilford and got a little bit of a scare. They were down. The Quakers. Yeah, they were the down. fighting Jim Nances. They were down 15 at the half, came back and won comfortably. Um, but it was a, a just like a weird start to the game. High Point establishing themselves in the second half. They made it work. Uh, tomorrow they play South Carolina State in the first game of the No Room for Racism Classic in Rock Hill, which should be cool. That one is going to be capped off with uh, South Carolina against Florida State on, I believe, Sunday. Watch e- uh, High Point home games on ESPN+. Plus where Darren Vaught will be on the call, often with Stan Luter, which is a lot of fun. Let's get into unusual questions. Last week, guys, everybody made it out that I got mad at Josh and I left the press conference. That's not right. 
I thought it was an unusual question, and it's okay. It's time for Unusual Questions with Josh Graham. All right, intern Nick. You had the tease going into the segment. I asked you, what's an unusual question we might be able to answer? You responded with movies. Hell of a tease. Hell of a tease. What do you have? <laughs> so I watched this movie, uh, I think two days ago. I looked at this movie character and I was like, I I would switch my life to be like living his life. So I kind of want to go last on this because there's a right answer to this question. Okay. If you guys could switch your lives and live somebody else's life from a movie, who would it be? Are we talking about a specific point in the movie or you get the entire movie? I asked like, can I be... Can I have all the wealth that Jordan Belfort gets in Wolf of Wall Street without all the bad things that happen to him at the end of that movie? <laughs> you have to get basically the entire movie. Line. Well, see, that's what makes this tricky, right? Because with a rounded character dynamic, there's going to be some peaks and valleys, right? Um, I want to be uh, Christian Bale Batman. That's it. I want to be that fit. I want to have that wealth. I want to have those capabilities. I grew up loving Batman, so I want to be Christian Bale and Batman. Money isn't uh, user to lose it, but that Batman body is. You're going to have to do a little more than uh, your <laughs> Peloton to keep yeah, that Batman we- body. He'd be like, <laughs> oh, do you know who I am? I'm like, yeah, you're Fat Batman. What are you doing? <laughs> what are you trying to say, Robert? I'm just saying, you, you might be able to morph into that body, but then you're going to throw a whole lot of batarangs to yeah, keep it. It's like a relay race. Christian Bale passes you the baton. You got to run, dude. Like, you can't just stop. Fine. I want to be White Goodman and Dodgeball. The end of Dodgeball. <laughs> Bleeping Chuck Norris. Peter LaFleur is not a bad response to this this question. How would you answer it, Darren? Ah, oh, man. This is tough. There's a lot to consider here. Nick, you're the only one that's thought about this. It's so answer true. the question. Well, no, I got one, too. I okay, know, Robert, I'd probably how would you answer be- it? Uh, Clifford, the big red dog from the new Clifford, the big red dog <laughs> movie. Why? Because who doesn't want to be a big ass red dog? Who's going to stop me? I'm going to do whatever I want to do. I mean, and plus, dogs have the best life anyway. They do. Like, they just get to lay around all day. Somebody feeds them, somebody rubs their belly. You know how many times my belly's been rubbed this week? Zero. Actually, one. It was me when my tummy hurt. It's uh, great. All right, Dick, what do you got? I would a thousand percent be Marty McFly. Like, Come on, you get to travel around in time in a DeLorean. And hit on your mom. Ew, I was going to bring up he has see, a the, hot girlfriend. But see, the, and, hor- the horror of the mom situation veers me away from this scenario. I don't want to experience that. Nah, you'd be okay, just shut her down. You're, you're used to shutting girls your down best friend gets to <laughs> be, Your best friend gets to be a 70-year-old man. Yeah, there you go. I, I'm telling you, you hang out with old people long enough, you'll find something out, you get like to, where they hide their money at. That's my favorite part. You, you, you <laughs> rock at the guitar, you're in a flying DeLorean that can travel through time, you have a hot girlfriend, and what was my last point? Or you could go back in time and bet on all the Super oh, Bowls. You, you know, exactly, you could go back in time and bet on everything. Oh, that my other point was being a, ki- a teenager in the 80s in California was probably uh, the best time yeah. ever. My parents always tell me, oh, yeah, growing up in the 80s, the best, especially in California. I so think I'd I've be got, Marty McFly. I think I've got an answer to this one. It's based 100% on coolness. Guy Patterson, that thing you do, the drummer. Really good answer there. 
It's a good answer. Ah, I got a question. Broadly, how much is convenience worth? And what I mean is in these specific of terms. How far do you go? All this could be answered at Costco. How far out of your way are you willing to go to get a deal on gas? Are you a guy that would ever consider couponing? And on top of that, if you have a heavy item that you care to buy and load into your car, well, would you, how much, how heavy does it have to be before you consider, you know, just buying the shipping, paying for shipping? How much is convenience worth? Are you somebody that likes a good deal? I, uh, I usually, usually am of the belief that you get what you pay for. So a lot of the times I'm skeptical of discounts. <laughs> it's oh. a character flaw. Oh. Uh, so you're not I coupon. I don't trust people. But also, man, I pay to have food delivered to my door too much. Wow. Way too much. See, I don't know the last time I did that. I usually, regardless of how I feel, I'll get into my car and go through a drive-thru rather than paying for Uber Eats or... Nah, man. I will... I, like, it, it's been bad the past like year and a half. What are you ordering from Uber Eats? Uh, like Chipotle, Cava. You know Cava? It's like a Chipotle, but oh, yeah. it's Mediterranean. Yeah. It's a good, good little spot. I'm familiar with it. I don't it. know that there are any of those in the triad. Do you have an unusual question for us? Or, Robert, do you have an answer to that question? Uh, it's worth ever how lazy I'm feeling right now, I guess. <laughs> I don't really have a good answer for How that often question. do you get food delivered to your home? Very rarely. Just because Same I don't here. like getting paid, I don't like paying an exorbitant amount for something that I could just go do myself. See, man, the second I consider, huh, this would only require like five or six bucks to have it brought to me as soon as possible. I'm, cheap I'm too. Right? Think, I'm, think I'm, of all the bush ice you could buy for that five dollars, <laughs> Darren. What's your unusual question? Um, what was? I'm I'm trying to help you out here, Josh. During the break, I tweeted a meme. When I came on and came in studio and I had to explain it to you. Yeah. What was the last meme? This is for, for Robert and Nick. What was the last meme you had to have explained to you? <laughs> I don't, so I did I don't the, know. I did the I two doubt, by fours. I doubt these guys have had a lot of memes explained Yeah, to no, that's, that's kind of what I figured. I mean, but mostly it's not because I'm not curious. If I don't understand it generally, I'm just not going to ask. I'm just, it's going to explain itself. Yeah, like, there was a succession meme I didn't understand because I don't watch the show. Yeah, that's, well, that's it. Yeah, that's, I just don't, yeah, exactly. That's, that's easily explained. for people that watch succession. Like. <laughs> oh, I know, but it just appeared on my Twitter feed. Yeah, you just keep scrolling. You're like, oh, I don't know these characters. Similarly, yeah. like I didn't grow up watching SpongeBob, so I see SpongeBob references everywhere, and a lot of them I don't get. Contextually, I can kind of put it together over time. It's like, oh, yeah, okay. Culturally, but I don't, I don't understand Culturally, Darren, you really should go watch the first two seasons of SpongeBob. If you yeah. watch the first two seasons, you'll get everything. You'll I get didn't all even the... know it's separated into seasons. I guess that makes sense. Everything also, does. Darren, when you leave here, go listen to Gary's song. It'll come up. It's off a of SpongeBob album. Probably He's the, the snail, right? Yeah, Gary leaves, <laughs> and they write. It's just a touching song. Like, just imagine it's your pet, and you're singing it to your pet. It'll get me teary-eyed. Robert, what's your unusual question on the way out? Uh, with Jeff Hardy getting released from WWE today, uh, a lot of my friends, or at least a lot of my acquaintances, when you talk about wrestling, they'll either say, like, a certain wrestler's name. They're like, oh, professional wrestling, like Ric Flair? Oh, like Haystacks Calhoun, like this? 
Who is the wrestler that you think of? First wrestler that pops in your mind when you think of pro wrestling? Because I think for a lot of people it is Jeff Hardy. Uh, this is all right. So this is going to be strictly personal. Hogan. That's I, what I yeah, think of. I mean, there's there are obvious answers. I just recently found a an out of context Dusty Rhodes Twitter too <laughs> that I, I that I love. Um, it's one of my new favorite Twitter handles. I don't so, even get a lot of the references, but I watch it. So and he, it makes me laugh so, every time. So he's one of them. But like, and this when I was with the David Glenn show was one of the best gets. It was not a big deal to get this guy, but it was one that I was more stoked about than anybody else who could ever get this guy. We had the million dollar man Ted DiBiase on. Oh, great dude, too, by the way. Exceptional guy. Not great at doing his taxes, but great guy. No, but like we had him on and he was my dude growing up. Like five year old Darren was all about the million dollar corporation and. You know, he had Virgil as sort of his sidekick. His lackey. I'd, yeah. I'd love to know who it is for Robert. Uh, for me, it's probably Stone Cold. That's a good answer. Just because I had a cutout of him. And, like, when I was in college, I had a cutout, and he was in, like, the corner of my room. And you'll come home at night, right, and, like, you're just stumble into your room and go to bed. But then you'll wake up, and there's that cutout of a man's shadowy <laughs> silhouette. And you're like, oh, my God. Oh, it's just you, Steve. <laughs> I still have those in my home. I envision a, a cinematic version of that story that you just told, yeah. <laughs> Robbie, in which your eyes open and then you kick up, like quickly sit up in your bed, and then you hear the glass shatter, <laughs> and it's the stand-up. <laughs> I, oh I would be on 10. The head coach of the Elon Phoenix, Mike Schrage, joins us now. Once upon a time, he was working for Coach K at Duke, and we want to get to Duke football stuff in a little bit. Steve Wiseman joined us earlier and shared, I think, some really valuable insight on where things currently stand with that coaching search that we'll get to after we're done chatting with Coach. You're getting set for the Tar Heels on Saturday, Mike. How did that game at the Smith Center get put together? What's up, Josh? Um, actually, I inherited it from the, the previous staff here. Uh, Roy Williams and, and his staff was nice enough to, to open our building, Char Center, and we played at Carolina my first year, and you know a good amount of our guys have played there before. Then last year we were supposed to play, um, and it got uh, blown up with a with a pause. So yeah, we're still we're, we're finishing the series, returning the game, and we're trying to get going. So you know. Now, now we get to take on a, a Carolina team that's really in a rhythm, and, but, but excited for the opportunity. Is this the last game you guys have in an agreement, or have there been talks to get Hubert Davis to play at the Shar Center in the future? Yeah, this is it for now. We, we, we would love it in the future, of course. But, um, yeah, so it was a two-for-one. So they, they, start, they opened the building here, and then we returned it the following year, and then there was a gap because of COVID. But, uh, yeah, we're looking looking forward to anytime we can play – the ACC schools in our, in our area is such a tremendous opportunity. Uh, it's Mike, Mike Schrage with us here on WSJS Sports. What stands out to you as the most, uh, the most impressive thing that this North Carolina, thing, uh, North Carolina team does on tape? Well, I think when you play Carolina, and, and obviously I've seen it at different stages with different coaches, and, and I think Huber Davis has put his own stamp on it, which is impressive. 
but you know, you know, you're going to contend with size and length, and athleticism. But this team is uh, shooting the ball so well. Um, I think they're third in the country in, in three-point field goal percentage. They're two guards. You know, they kind of have these stretch playmaking force now, which they haven't always had before. They kind of try to overwhelm you, you know, with with uh, size and athleticism and offensive rebounding. So, just I think I think what's scary is obviously they have really good players, good talent, but they're shooting the ball at such an incredible level too. We're being joined by Mike Shragi here, head coach of the Elon Phoenix, getting set for uh, the Tar Heels on Saturday. Uh, have you had a chance to watch your former team yet? Watch Duke at any point this year? A little bit. Yeah, it's hard sometimes. You know, I, I try to. Uh, it's obviously a place that still means a lot to me and, and know all those guys. Um, a little bit. Uh, like to more, but you, you get so vested with uh, your own team and, and your own scouts. But I know they've been on quite a quite a gap. I can't remember uh, Duke basketball being a part of this gap. I know they lost the last one. I and That's the Coach K I remember. I love him. Uh, but that, that'd be tough to – have two weeks in between games. <laughs> so. uh, yeah, Duke's next in action next Tuesday, and they haven't played since last Tuesday, so it'll be a two-week gap. I wanted to get your reaction to something that Tony Bennett had to say a couple nights back. He went to, and this is something I've been railing on the last 24 hours or so, he took his team to play at a CAA school, uh, a team that I think had the best record in the regular season in the CAA and James Madison, and JMU won that game. And the College of Charleston almost beat North Carolina as Hubert took his team into Charleston. And I really do appreciate this perspective from Tony Bennett. This was his postgame comment after the loss. I came from Green Bay, a mid-major, whatever you say, and there's so much parity. And... I always hope that you know, we get to play some of the power fives and that's irrelevant. And I never got to, and I, I learned from my father when he took the Wisconsin job, he'd go play, Green, uh, they'd play Green Bay, Milwaukee, those schools. Well, I think that's important. A lot of teams won't come in here and play it. That's their philosophy. This is a good team. This is a good college basketball officer, beautiful building and a tough environment, but good for our guys. How many high major coaches regionally that you've spoken to share Tony Bennett's perspective there. Roy Williams. I'm not, I'm not sure about Hubert Davis, uh, but, but uh, we, we, we tried with some of the other coaches in the area, the ACC. Um, it's, it's tough. It's tough. It's a unique perspective. And I understand I was a high major assistant for a long time and, you know, selfishly now the shoes on the other foot. Yeah. You, you'd like to, had those opportunities and come to Shar Center, even Greensboro Coliseum, but but you understand it too, you know. That, that their their schedules usually aren't hard to, to fill. They're only having adding more conference games now at that level, and um, it's a little bit of a no win, you know, for a lot of those schools. But you know, I do I respect a coach that's willing to do it, like Tony Bennett or or some of these guys have in the past. Mike Shragi, Elon coach with us here on WSJS Sports, getting set for the Tar Heels on Saturday night. Let's talk about baseball for a second. You and I, right. we're cutting it up a little bit not too long ago, and I realize you have this passion to visit all the big league ballparks. How many have you visited now? So it's the thing with my son. My son's now 17. Our goal was before he went to college to get to every single one of them, and we're at, we're at half of them, I think 15 or 16. And the year covid broke unfortunately we had a plan we planned at christmas time and it worked out perfectly when he got out of school we were going to be able to do 10 parks in 10 days 
in the Midwest, knock out the rest of the Midwest, knock out the Northeast, Toronto. And we were, we were, we were pumped about it. And obviously that got blown up with COVID. So, uh, you know, it's going to be hard now to get done before he goes to college, but we will at the right time. Um, but yeah, we, we love it. We're, we're praise fans, die hard, follow every single game. So we're obviously still, uh, glowing after the world series win. Did you cry after they won? I didn't cry. No, I was, I was, you know, my son was awfully excited because he hadn't seen it before I lived it. I lived 95, um, 1995 when they won it last, but, uh, we were emotional. Yeah, there's, there's no doubt. You know, when you have a 70-year-old son and he doesn't think your dad's that cool anymore, you know, it's, it's, you know it's a big moment when he's willing to hug you and, and, and do that kind of stuff. So we were definitely emotional. I don't know about crying, though. So. What's the best park of the 15 that you visited? What's the worst of the 15? I always say the best one is the, the Giants uh, stadium there in San Francisco if it's a day game. I, I, night games, too cold. Like, I, I don't envision – I grew up in Atlanta and I've been spent time in the southeast. Like I, I don't want to be wearing a jacket, you know, and, and, and drinking uh, hot cocoa uh, in July or, or August. So day game it's that one for sure. And then I'm a I'm a sucker for Wrigley Field, um, in terms of tradition. I like I like uh, Petco Park a lot, San Diego's park as well. And then Atlanta's new one I think is really unique, especially not just the stadium but the surroundings, what what they've done with the battery if you haven't experienced that. But uh yeah, we've, we've kind of talked the first 15, 16. We kind of have rankings and uh, hoping, hoping to obviously add a lot more to the list. Nick, who works on the show, is a massive Giants fan. So, Nick, how happy are you that Mike Schragi, top of the list, day game at the Giants Park? And does that make sense to you? I haven't been to that park yet. I've been to a number that it's great in the day but not great at night. Have you heard that before? Yeah, uh, most people from San Francisco, like, are used to it in July when it's 50 degrees. But if anyone has been to Oracle park, it's one or two on their list. I'm doing the same thing. I'm trying to visit every single ballpark. I think I've been to nine and giants will always be number one. So great, great list. See, maybe you can help me out on this one. I, I, I'm looking at next year. I'm not going to do a super crazy bachelor party because just look at a picture of me. I'm not the type of guy who's probably, you know, the ones that's going to act like, Tom Hanks in the movie way back when I'm probably that's probably an outdated reference at this point but uh I'm debating between going to Wrigley Field for the first time or Fenway Park and I don't know which of the two to pick between but just note I'm a huge Orioles fan and if I went to Fenway there's a pretty good chance I'd be getting to see my team that that may put over the top I'm, I'm more of a Wrigley than Fenway guy but uh I haven't been to, I haven't been to Camden Yards yet. That's something that's easy. I, we we got to knock out here before too long. So. Yeah, no doubt. That's my favorite one. But again, I'm biased on that. What's you said you put together the rankings. What, what's at the bottom of the list though? What should we be avoiding now? Oh man, the Miami Marlins. Oh, yeah, that's it's tough. Pretty new. Oh, it's a, it's 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 all brick. It's 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 bad. It is bad. Um, that that is no doubt dead last. The rest of them are all. You know, Pittsburgh's just really nice. There, there, there are pluses and minuses, but yeah, Miami is dead last, and, and I don't see any park, uh, you know, changing that. <laughs> no, Not funny. even the Trop. See, I've been to the Trop, and a lot of people don't like that one, and I could see why. I, I watched a football game there. I wish I was just shocked it was a new stadium. Like it just, just I, I didn't put more thought into it. It's really just a big old piece of cement, and uh, you know, some of these parks now have a, a tradition, have a flavor to them. Didn't, didn't feel that at all. 
Mike Shragi, I'll see you on Saturday night. Appreciate you spending the time here as always. Best of luck against the Heels. I appreciate it. Thanks, Josh. Thanks for having me.